and welcome to the Point of Care Ultrasound Certification Academy podcast, where we focus on POCUS. Here, we will discuss all things related to Point of Care Ultrasound, the practice, the trends, and its impact on healthcare. Our program will engage thought leaders who are defining global patient care with the stethoscope of the future. Hello, welcome, welcome all to the podcast Focus on POCUS, where today in our COVID-19 containment triangulation, I'm speaking from my home while connected across town to Dave Young at Widget Studios and speaking with our honored guest from British Columbia, Dr. Katie Wiskar. Today, uh, we're going to talk to Dr. Wiskar. Uh, she's a much-in-demand clinician. Last week, we... Uh, when she moved over from her cell phone across the hospital to get on a landline, they snagged her and put her back to work. So this is a <laughs> attempt to, she's a, busy, <laughs> she's a busy lady. So Katie is an academic uh, general internist working at Vancouver General Hospital in Vancouver, Canada. She recently completed a year of dedicated POCUS fellowship, including training in Western University's prestigious critical care ultrasound program. Her POCUS passions include all things echocardiography, clinical interrogation of ultrasound findings, and correcting common POCUS myths and misunderstandings. So, Katie, how are you this time? <laughs> I'm well. Thanks so much for having me, James, and for accommodating my schedule. As you say, uh, the clinical world can be unpredictable. So I'm sorry I was pulled away last time, but it's great to be chatting with you today. Yes, and if somebody barges in the door, I'm sure we, we're happy and the audience to let you go. It's uh, strange <laughs> times. It's crazy. Very, very crazy times. So we have a lot in common. We talked about a little earlier, you know, I, I did cardiac sonography, and you're a big fan of Echo, and snowboarded mm -hmm. out there in your great uh, province, uh, British Columbia, all over that place. It's, it's a beautiful Beautiful part of the world, definitely. You're lucky. We, yeah, we're very lucky to live here. We're not getting to enjoy it as much as we would maybe like right now for very understandable reasons, but I'm looking forward to getting back out to the, the wilderness and the mountains once this is settled down. Yes. And um, so, you know, today, just, just scanning the headlines, wow. Uh, I saw, uh, well, there was a Bronx EMT who committed suicide by shooting himself um, with his police officer's father's gun. And then today, there's a Dr. Lauren Breen, uh, top Manhattan physician, who, while she was home, was overwhelmed by all these uh, COVID patients dying. She's actually a director of an ER uh, and shaken by this CV-19 onslaught and committed suicide. It's some scary stuff our healthcare workers are going through. It is, yeah. And I mean, I think um, here in BC, we're relatively fortunate. I think that our cases, we've certainly seen quite a bit of COVID and have undergone a lot of kind of systemic upheaval to try to deal with that. But I think we're, rel we're certainly fortunate compared to areas like New York that have been a lot harder hit. So I can only imagine what clinicians in those places are going through to see you know, this kind of system overwhelmed, this many really sick people feeling helpless and powerless. So my heart really goes out to all the clinicians who are facing this and their families uh, who are trying to deal with these extremely challenging times. Absolutely. So for your own personal experience, what are you finding as, as the most challenging, I guess, from a mental health perspective about COVID-19 pandemic right now? 
mean, I, th- I think that my answer to that question has probably evolved in the last, you know, six weeks or whatever it is that we've been dealing with this. I think at first for me, there was just a ton of anxiety. I would like wake up in the morning and feel like you're in a movie kind of dealing with this real life pandemic as it began to be apparent um, what was going to unfold. Um, and I think at the start, there was just a lot of uncertainty, um, uncertainty about you know, having appropriate PPE, uncertainty about the clinical care, uncertainty about where these patients should go in, a hosp- in the hospital, a lot of those logistic things. And I think for me, at least some of that has settled as we are kind of in this, this new norm, for lack of a better word. And I think now the thing that I'm finding most challenging from kind of a, a mental and emotional well-being perspective is just uh, not having your usual outlets. And so, you know, as we spoke about earlier, I think that I recognize that a lot, a lot of us are, are fortunate in that, you know, I, I am healthy, I still have gainful employment, uh, my family is safe, but I think it's okay to still kind of mourn the fact that, you know, you're not getting to see your friends or do hobbies that you enjoy or go on your vacation. Um, and, you know, feeling a little bit kind of sad and down in the dumps about that is, is a bit normal, I think, especially in such stressful times. Yeah, I, I, I can relate. I think it's just the sheer volume of tragedies, you know, I still to this day have patients I remember who passed or their stories kind of still haunt me. I still remember them. Mm. And I Mm -hmm. I understand you have little guys. How many children do you have? I just have one right now. He's just over Mm -hmm. a year old. So that has certainly been really challenging and something that I was like terrified about at the beginning, of course, was, you know, what if I bring this home to to my family and to him? So I think that really adds to a lot of the anxiety and worry Mm -hmm. as well, of course. Yeah, so that the effect of the pandemic is having on you is probably a lot. Do you follow any protocols, uh, you know, like sleeping in the garage or anything like that? Or oh gosh, I mean, you hear about so many physicians doing that on social media, or you know, moving out from their families, and I think that that is so admirable. The people who are doing that to keep their families safe. Um, yeah. I think it was really hard as a mother with a very young child who I was still breastfeeding. Um, mm-hmm. That separation, I mean, would have seemed so, so challenging and would have just changed our relationship. So I haven't been. I've been trying to be as, as safe as I can, you know, showering as soon as I get home and decontaminating yeah. all my stuff, not bringing anything home from the hospital. And so far, things seem to be going okay. Um, I think I'm also, you know, not facing the same volumes of COVID and so probably don't have the same exposure as clinicians in, in more affected areas. So I'm lucky that way too. Yeah. Yeah, wow. So, um, I mean, are you seeing, um, I don't know, uh, what are you doing personally for your wellness or mental health during this pandemic? Uh, I imagine, you know, people may have generalized anxiety disorders or maybe even post-traumatic stress disorders, nightmares. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's really hard, and we're already starting to see some research from, you know, Chinese groups and, and groups of healthcare providers in Wuhan that found really quite high rates of PTSD and anxiety and burnout um, in those who'd been caring on the front line for COVID patients. So, uh, again, I've, I've told you, and I'll, I'll remind everyone, I'm not a... Uh, a psychiatrist. I'm not a mental health professional, so I'm just sort of speaking of my experience as someone who's been on the front lines of this. But um, mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's hard because I think a lot of our normal coping strategies that we use to deal with tough days at work and loss and you know challenging clinical scenarios may have been taken away from us. Right now, you know, we can't go and have a beer with friends or go have dinner with our families, you know, extended families, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So I think I'm trying to to stay sane by still exercising. That's always been something that's important to me. So going for a run by myself with appropriate social distance, uh, that's been helpful. 
um, I think I think having kids at home, as challenging as it is um, in these times, I think it does help because you know my son has no idea that there's a pandemic. Obviously, he just wants to like practice his walking and play with his balls and everything. So I think that helps kind of take the focus off work and make me just live in the moment for a bit as well. Yeah, you know, I can relate in a smaller way. I have teenagers, and they're juniors in high school, so they're both, my girls are missing out on all their stuff, but they're taking it in stride. They're making masks and stuff. And mm. To your running point, I was... Oh, good. Yeah, I was running in the woods, trail running, but, you know, now that every, now that everybody's off, it's like I get, I get anxious. I'm running down, and I go, I'm huffing and mm. puffing, and there's a guy running, you know past me doing the same and I'm like man are they aerosoling me everything is like (laughs) I mean you have to think and also going to the grocery store is so anxiety provoking oh I know and my wife was a former uh, respiratory therapist so we hear a lot from our old colleagues and uh God, it's like living in an OR around here. We have the whole process when the groceries come in and the shoes off at the door and wiping off in the... In yeah. The, yeah. You guys doing all that and the bleach on the handles and all that stuff. Oh, gosh. Well, now it takes forever now to go get groceries because by the time you've, like, come in and wiped everything <laughs> down and it, I just find yeah. it takes forever. But, no, I know. I know the... I mean, here in Vancouver, people are, are generally pretty active, so you, you tend to see a lot of runners and cyclists, but especially on, like, those nice weekend days, it's been, and I know everyone is just trying to get outside, and people are trying to do it safely, and I think it is really important to get out and get fresh air and exercise, but it's tough when it's really busy out there. I, I tend to be forced to run very early in the mornings before work, and the good thing about running at 4.30 in the morning is that there's not a lot of other people out there, so it <laughs> makes smart. it a bit easier from that sense. <laughs> yeah. That's smart. I, I need to do that and i see on tv you know the beaches i mean come on nobody's gonna not sit on a towel and gather in a group on a beach i mean if you if people just ran on them or the dog walk that would probably work but every time they show a shot any beach in the world they're all (laughs) all glommed together i'm like yeah yeah for sure (laughs) so uh some of the what are some of the group institutional level things that you've seen done that are sort of helping the providers during this time yeah i i think that you know Amidst all of this tragedy and chaos and upheaval, I think there's been a lot of really inspiring things as well and a lot of groups being really selfless, being really innovative. So I think there's been a ton of support for frontline workers, healthcare workers. Um, So even things like you mentioned your daughter's making masks. Uh, There's been companies locally that have donated masks or those little uh, things that hold the masks at the back of your head to save your ears. Those are totally life-saving. So the hospital has been trying to kind of help source things like that. Uh, They really made an effort to try to get food available. So free sort of prepackaged COVID safe lunches that are available for the staff, which is a little thing, but honestly makes a big difference in times like this. Uh, And then I think that a lot of hospitals have also tried to make mental health resources, so counseling, um, psychiatry, um, you know, spaces like that available because it is a really traumatic time. Yeah, yeah, I have to agree with that. And my only hope seeing all this madness and watching the news every night um, is just uh, that it's going to expose some serious holes and what's really wrong with our modern world there's so many people that oh, are totally marginalized without health care staying home passing away they don't want to go on event and uh just like oh, yeah. i think the numbers are actually un- underreported too for sure for sure i think that um 
you guys down in the States have some unique challenges in that department that, I mean, I feel, I feel fortunate that at least in Canada, you know, we, ha- we do have universal health care, and I know we're not going to get into any of the politics, but, but I think that you're right. That's a huge thing that's come to light with this pandemic, so maybe this will be sort of a catalyst for change or at least to get people talking about that and, and how to solve that problem. Yeah, now the hospital I was formerly affiliated with, thankfully, we had this uh, physician, his, his name's Ed Jasper, and we called him the master of disaster. And he was always <laughs> running, he was always running these scenarios and simulations in the ER regarding dirty bombs or uh, pandemics. So he had been hoarding since the last SARS, early 2000s. And oh, they wow. had two floors of stuff. And But it's just insane having to loan stuff to a hospital across the street. If you don't have that individual, it's nice to have that universal health care to fall back on. Absolutely. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm with you 100 percent. What I wanted to ask you about, which is really funny because uh, I've been doing some webinars and and stuff like that. And I want to ask you about POCUS myths and misunderstandings that was in your bio, because I think there are a lot of them. It's not the magic cure all. Yeah. Uh, So why don't you talk about that a little bit? (laughs) Oh, gosh, where to start? Um, I mean, I think... Yeah, lay it all out. I mean, this is focus on focus. So let's... <laughs> How long do we have? Do we have hours? Um, yeah. Uh, so yes. I, I, mean, I think yeah. keeping with, with COVID, maybe to start with, I'll touch on two points. The first, COVID-related. I think that there has been a lot of ultrasound enthusiasm for COVID, which... I think is great because I'm always a proponent of ultrasound use and more people uh, learning to use ultrasound and doing so you know, clinically in the right setting. I think that there is some over-enthusiasm and some people kind of seeing ultrasound as the single best diagnostic test for COVID and it will solve all our problems. And, you know, obviously that's not the case. I think that POCUS can be used, and and lung ultrasound in particular is what I'm talking about here, can be used Mm -hmm. for COVID, but I think that you have to be really careful that you're using it in the right clinical setting, because there are risks of, you know, fomite transmission with the machine getting contaminated, with healthcare worker exposure, because you're spending more time in close contact with the patient. So I think that you have to make sure that you're using it in a scenario where it's really going to change your clinical management. Um, So for me, I found that, you know, it's most useful in a patient where they might have COVID, but I actually think they maybe have heart failure. So to kind of look for alternative diagnosis, or I think they have a large pleural effusion that I want to drain, uh, things like that. Uh, I think there's definitely okay. use in monitoring kind of ICU level patients when they get that sick in terms of their uh, evolving respiratory failure and hemodynamics. But we there's certainly patients who go to the ward who are kind of on our COVID ward who are fairly stable, who I don't think we need to lung ultrasound, certainly not kind of daily, uh, because it's not really changing clinical care. So I think that that's one um, maybe myth to correct is to, you know, POCUS has a role in this pandemic, but make sure you're doing it with an appropriate clinical question. Yes. Yes, I agree. I know they were really touting it for triage and being able to clean it very quickly. But, you know, there's many things, uh, you know, and they were talking about thick and um, subpleural lines and clusters mm-hmm. of B lines and all this. Mm-hmm. And uh, but But still, it's like... Uh, even now, I people, I just you can't magically drop the probe. You have to, you know, you patients are obese. They have COPD. You got to pull the shoulder back, stretch their arms. You make them breathe. You really have to work with the patient and forget about the knobology. It's about manipulating the patient. But um, for sure, and I and I and I think that those findings that you mentioned, obviously, are seen in COVID, but can be seen in 
any other viral or atypical sure. pneumonia, right? There's no findings that are pathognomonic for COVID. Um, so I think, you know, keeping that in mind as well, that we can see those same, that same irregular pleura, those same patchy B lines, if they had RSV or if they had mycoplasma pneumonia or, you know, an aspiration, mm-hmm. things like that. So I think the clinical integration piece is key. The, uh, yeah. the other big myth, the other big myth that I, I won't even get into because I don't think we have time, but is my pet peeve. And if you ever no, please, come do an ultrasound rotation with us, <laughs> is, uh, is the IVC. Oh, okay. An appropriate use of the IVC for volume responsiveness or fluid status or whatever you want to call it. Oh, you mean the 50% sniff test and, oh, that's your, yeah. Oh, your, gosh, all that garbage. Yeah, I mean, we could, we could get into a whole, <laughs> we, we can do like eight follow-up episodes if you want. But, uh, no, I, th- I think that. Yes, no, like I anything, think that would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's, let's have a, let's have a, let's dis-focus. I mean, it's not the magic cure-all that people, there's a lot that I notice, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think uh, Scott Millington, who's a, an intensivist up here in Canada, also wrote a really great paper recently about reasons the IVC is, is garbage, essentially. And I think that it has a role, but I think that it's, it's probably the most misunderstood thing in POCUS and the thing that I see novice users uh, use incorrectly most often. So I think that it has its place, uh, but I think that you have to be really cautious that so you understand all the pitfalls with it. So we'll maybe leave it at that. You know, with that, without getting in the weeds, I, I agree. I remember pulsing back in the hepatic vein a lot and looking for waveforms mm-hmm. below and above mm-hmm. baseline and thinking, well, uh, hmm, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not <laughs> sure about been this. A hot, that's actually been a hot topic that's resurfaced recently is kind of solid organ Doppler for venous congestion of the hepatic vein, the portal vein, the renal vein, and renal artery. And it's actually something mm-hmm. I find quite interesting, and I think, you know, that coupled with the IVC, coupled with probably a lung assessment for B-lines and a right heart evaluation can kind of give you a, a better picture of their overall volume status, for lack of a better word. But uh, none of it is simple. It all has to be taken together and sort of integrated clinically with the patient in front of you. Dr. Katie Wiskar, there it is. I hope soon <laughs> you are back navigating the killer pow-pow out there at Whistler Black Home or, or <laughs> I, I don't know, whatever your mountain of choice is, Lake Louise. You have so many there, Jasper. Are you an uh, avid uh, snowboarder or cross-country? How do you shush down the hill? Oh, don't don't hate me, but I'm not actually a huge winter sport person. I uh, <laughs> I was a, a high level volleyball player for all of kind of my youth, and and we always uh-huh. were in season during the winter, so was kind of precluded from doing that. But uh, <laughs> I, I like a good snowshoe up uh, up on Cypress or on Whistler if I get a chance. But nice, nice. So it's an honor to have you. I thank you for coming, and we definitely have to have you back so we can you know punch some holes in. Uh, <laughs> You know, our focus on POCUS, and thank you for increasing patient safety. Stay safe. Good luck to your child. I didn't, what's his or her name? It's a boy, girl? Max. 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 Yeah. I like it. To the max <laughs> with Max. I hope he, I hope he, you guys stay safe, and um, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great to talk to you, James. Thanks for having me on. You too. And listen, don't forget, for more POCUS-style topics, Follow us on Facebook and POCUS at CERT Academy and Twitter at POCUS Academy. We'll see you out there on social media, Katie. Good luck. Thanks. Take care, James. Thanks for listening. 
Be sure to join us at Twitter at POCUS Academy and Facebook at POCUS CERT Academy. If you'd like to learn more about the POCUS community, visit us at POCUSworld.org. Take a look at participating in our POCUS 25 research. Help contribute to the scientific development of the top 25 point-of-care ultrasounds. And we'll see you next time. Thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests and not those of Intelios. This podcast is for information purposes only.